You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, I'm Ryan Esperson. I'm a Caribbean historical archaeologist, and I also make antique repurposed brick lighting for a living. Ryan Esperson is the creator behind Esperson & Son Heritage Company. Inspired by his day job as an archaeologist, Ryan repurposes antique bricks from the mid-17th to early 20th centuries. He breathes new life into them, creating one-of-a-kind lamps and planters imbued with a sense of history. Here's my chat with Ryan Esperson. Who are you, and what do you make for a living? All right, uh, I'm Ryan Esperson. I'm a Caribbean historical archaeologist by trade. Um, when I'm not doing that, uh, on the side, I uh, repurpose antique bricks into interior lighting. How in the world did you get started doing that? Uh, well, I wish I had a better story with that. Um, the short version is it was a random thought in the shower. Uh, the longer version is that um, as an archaeologist, when you're, um, when you're excavating industrial sites, um, like I, I've worked on a lot of things like sugar plantations and uh, indigo uh, plantations in the Caribbean, and especially when you run an archaeology center or you're working with others, you're faced with uh, artifact storage. Uh, and what happens with that is you're, you're basically taking everything you excavate and you, you reprocess it in the lab, and then it goes into, when, once it's put into um, uh, a database, then it goes into storage for an indefinite period of time, um, two years, five years, 50 years, uh, basically waiting for someone to come and study it somewhere down the line. Uh, but when you're confronted with things like uh, an entire building you're excavating, say like a um, yeah, like a sugar plantation, you're confronted with thousands or tens of thousands of bricks. You simply cannot store tens of thousands of bricks for one inside, you know, putting a building into another building. But you also are getting redundant information essentially after a few bricks, if, if they're all the same. So what happens is they stay there on a the site, weathering the elements, and that's, that's it. Uh, by taking something that would otherwise be discarded, uh, such as a brick, and repurposing it in a way that uh, provides an alternative means for the heritage to be promoted and preserved, I think is a much better alternative than just leaving them out to the elements. So that's sort of what led me on to the idea of repurposing them into, say, like interior lighting. Well, I mean, it's one thing to say that you're going to uh, take something that's going to be trash or just going to wither away and, and, and become useless and use it for something else. But most people would take bricks and use them as bricks. Why did you take them and start using them as lights? I've seen, um, <clears throat> I've had uh, like a, somewhat of an interest in, uh, say, like a steampunk aesthetic and things. And I, I've been noticing a lot of people were doing uh, lights using um, like half inch black steel pipe, for instance, or some people were doing um, just taking a chunk of wood and throwing in a light socket and, and an Edison bulb. And then, uh, yeah, you see those sold all around the world. Um, I was looking for, say, like a a different means, something that was uh, not done, that was underused, um, and uh, with with a wide window for creativity. Uh, so oddly enough, um, bricks were simply not really being used um, for interior lighting. I think I've seen uh, a small handful of, of examples that were generally the same style uh, online. And uh, so I took that, I ran with it, and uh, I've got at least uh, eight to 10 different varieties of lamps uh, I'm making with that and uh, opportunities for many more. I'm curious how you knew enough about lighting to even figure out that you're going to take a light and you're going to stick it in. Like, do you, do you have an electrical background? Did someone teach you this? Uh, this is something I uh, slowly uh, taught myself. Um, I've had some experience um, uh, w with some wiring and so forth in the past. Uh, I worked as a 
a forest firefighter for 11 years in Northwestern Ontario. And especially in slow seasons, you learn a lot of odd jobs. Um, say like if you have experience roofing, suddenly you're, you're, you're reshingling roofs, you know, across all the fire bases or you're, uh, you're fixing the plumbing in a remote base and things like that. So you do pick up little odd things like that. Like I picked up a bit of wiring. Um, so then I slowly progressed with that and, uh, yeah, I have uh, appointments this week for ETL certification, uh, on lamps. So, um, everything is, should be good to go for, um, commercial resale and everything too. So it's, yeah, it's, it's also out of necessity too. Um, after moving from the Caribbean to the lower mainland in 2000, December, 2018, uh, I knew the job market here, uh, for archeology, span let alone something as specific as I do, uh, it wasn't exactly great. So two things I did, um, well, I, I made two companies. I made, uh, my own private company that does uh, contract archeology span in the Caribbean. Uh, that's now been put on hold with all the you know, travel closures and closed borders and so forth. Uh, but also uh, with the other company to to repurpose discarded material cultural heritage. So then in this case, yeah, I focus a lot more uh, on bricks because they're so readily available here in the lower mainland, for instance. And um, you know, there used to be, uh, it was something like uh, almost 100 brick companies that were operating out of the lower mainland in Vancouver Island by the, uh, the late 19th century. So there's uh, quite, a, quite a history here in itself here with uh, brick manufacturing. Do you see a brick and then see the light it could be? Or do you have an idea of light and uh, and the fixture that you're trying to make and then and go out and find uh, suitable uh, bricks in order to make them? Uh, yeah, well, two things. Um, generally, when I see something I'm interested in and I want to pursue it, um, very quickly I think of, uh, I suppose, like a sort of like branches on a tree or links in a chain of, of possibilities that extend beyond that and then what those possibilities extend to. And I suppose that's just how I stumbled on the idea of, of making lighting out of brick in the shower and so forth. Uh, but uh, when it comes to finding them itself, um, that's, uh, there's a couple ways of doing it here. Um, for one, like locally, especially in the summer when people are uh, renovating their home or, or digging up their yard or there's their building demolitions, uh, there's all these bricks that are advertised uh, as giveaways on, um, say, like Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. Uh, so that's just a matter of going there and picking them up. And uh, sometimes there's a lot of work with it. Sometimes they're covered in paint and you have to strip the paint off. And they're, they're covered in mortar, especially lime mortar. And uh, that could be a, a, quite a lot of work uh, just even to clean them up into a suitable condition to to, to make things with. Uh, on top of that, then there's the bricks you pick up to begin with. So like I said, there is um, you know, something like 100 brick companies here uh, by the late 19th century. So that not only means there's a lot of uh, different stamps on bricks. So what I try and do is I, uh, I try and collect bricks that have a company's name or company's uh, maker's mark on them, because that provides uh, someone with much more ready uh, connection to uh, the history and heritage behind this brick than say just a, a plain brick. Um, so with that, for instance, um, you can you can trace back the company, when they were founded, uh, where they're operating, uh, what kind of bricks they made, what their output was, but also um, because styles change through time, you can also date the brick based on say like how their logo changed through time. So you can get even more specific with that. Do you find your customers are interested in uh, in knowing that history of, of, of each piece, are, are there other people who are interested in certain times? Uh, yes and no. Uh, some people just see, you know, some of the pieces and, and just like, well, cool, uh, which is fine. Uh, for me personally, I do this more to connect uh, people to their heritage. Um, so this is going along with, with my work as an archaeologist. And, uh, 
and uh, someone who does public outreach with cultural heritage. So um, for me, the interest is, say, I'll have people come up and see like a Claiborne brick. Uh, Claiborne was one of the last uh, brick factories to close down in the lower mainland. They're out of uh, Abbotsford. And now the old brick plant is torn down and now it's, uh, well, it's going to be uh, houses made of sticks, you know, like more, more townhouses and things, just like I live in here. So uh, someone will see the, the Claiborne brick and, oh, oh, yeah, my, uh, my, my, my grandfather used to work for Claiborne. Oh, this is so interesting. Oh, man, he would, he would love this brick. Uh, so I've made sales like that. Or um, I've had people from some of the Gulf Islands come. And uh, there used to be several brick factories scattered across those islands. Some only operated for a couple of years. And they'll, be, they'll come up and say, oh, yeah, we've, we've got beaches full of, full of these bricks. But the people that live there love them. Everyone has these bricks in their homes. And uh, I've never seen anything like this before. If you could just turn this into lighting, they, they would love this. Oh, I have to get your name. I have to tell them. So for me, that's, that's really what drives this. It's, it's not you know, someone uh, coming up because they, they think it looks nice, but because someone is coming up because it provides a connection to uh, tan- tangible history. What is your ultimate goal? What are you hoping to achieve with this work? Uh, for me, it's providing a means for local residents to connect to their own history, um, either locally or within the greater region. Uh, so, for example, uh, what I'm doing here in the Lower Mainland is, is taking bricks as much as I can from, from the lower mainland or Vancouver Island and marketing them that way. Uh, I do, for example, have some bricks from um, Medicine Hat in Alberta. Uh, these to be several brick factories out in Alberta. Um, so when I do shows in Alberta, I'm going to try as much as I can to get those Alberta bricks. And when I do like a show at Edmonton uh, or Calgary, I'll have Alberta bricks. Uh, in Toronto, I would try and do the same thing. Um, I have uh, on, on Saba, the island where I lived for seven years, I also sell um, some table lamps made from repurposed Dutch Eisel brick, uh, which dates from the 17th and 18th centuries. So I have those sold locally there as a means to tie the uh, local history um, through a means that it otherwise wouldn't be shown through. Because no one really, you're not, you're not going to go into a museum and maybe see a pile of bricks and, and get, you know, uh, people drawn in simply on that means, right? So so what's the actual process then of, of turning a brick into a light, into a fixture, into, into something that wants, wants to be in someone's home? Well, of course, there's uh, the cleaning. Um, sometimes you get lucky and um, say that the bricks are part of a walkway in someone's yard. They were just placed in the ground and then there's really no cleaning required other than scrubbing off some dirt. Um, if there's paint, the paint has to be stripped. If there's uh, mortar, of course, the mortar has to be taken off. So, of course, there's that. Then there's uh, selecting bricks depending on um, what piece I would like to make. So, on each of my pieces on my website, I have several options that people can can select uh, depending on what they want from their, their table lamp. So, for example, on, say, the simple ones where it's, where it's essentially a brick with, with a light socket and, and a switch and a cord, uh, you can select the brick company uh, that you would like. Uh, for, for your, your base brick. And then you can also select a condition. Uh, so there's, for example, like a clean condition or a lot of bricks were used in chimneys. So they've collected a lot of soot. So there's, there's a very charred elements to those bricks. Other times there were bricks that uh, were warped or uh, were basically malformed during production. So they're probably never really used in a building and just discarded. But uh, to me, some of them look absolutely fantastic. And other people might share that too. So I'll make uh, bricks out of, out of warped bricks or lamps out of war bricks for example uh so if they're not made to order then sometimes i'll just select a certain brick based on an aesthetic and then match it with say a socket or a cord uh yeah and make something that is not only visually appealing to but also then has a history behind it 
So once I select those, then uh, a lot of work happens with a diamond hole saw. You just saw my face. I went, what the hell is a diamond hole saw? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's just, it's just like a hole drill. So if you want to drill a, a round hole into something, uh, that's all it is. So it's the same principle, I suppose, if you want to mount a, a doorknob into a door, you, you drill a circular hole and it goes through. But of course, uh, when you're drilling through something like ceramic, um, you need something harder. So this is coated with diamond dust. And then you drill it underwater. So I have, do my measurements, do a little dot on the brick, and then I place the brick uh, basically in a big Tupperware container. And then I have a drill press. So I get like a nice, perfect uh, uh, straight angle over top of the brick. And then I just slowly uh, drill uh, through the brick with the, the diamond hole saw. And that's how I make the holes. And from there, um, generally speaking, I would, I would secure the socket uh, with what's called IPS pipe. It's like a type of threading, um, like a threaded pipe uh, that's, uh, that's, that's used in, in making interior lighting. I would secure it uh, into the brick, and then it's just a matter of wiring up the, the electrical cord and then running that through. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> it can be time consuming. There's a lot of steps involved, and uh, sometimes you, you realize you went too far ahead, and then you have to take everything apart and then do it once again. So it happens now and then, or sometimes you're drilling through a brick and then you break the brick. So then, uh, you know, better that happens at the beginning than at the end. Yeah, I can imagine it's a little disheartening after you've just taken a diamond brick bath. So once these things are completed, how are you marketing these? How are these finding their way to people? With the marketing, it, it took a little while to get some footing on that. Um, I have, you know, I, I have experience, uh, say, like pr promoting history and, and promoting museums and archaeological sites and things when it comes to selling a product that's, that's a bit of new territory for me. Uh, so... So for me, the marketing, uh, I thought a natural entry point to it is, is like I said, again, is connecting people to uh, their history through material objects. So um, so marketing in that aspect, uh, I thought, was the easiest. So one thing that you start to learn along the way is there's, is there's what you want to do and there's what you like, but is it what your customers like or is it what your customers are going to think when they see it? So for example... Um, on uh, one of the last trade shows I did, I, I built this, um, well, for the past few trade shows, I've had this cart that I built. So I went to, again to, you know, online and found some, uh, some old wheels from, say, the turn of the 20th century. They're all rusted. Uh, they've got, this, you know, rusted spokes on them, and then they've just got a solid strip of rubber instead of, like, an inflatable tube. So, uh, you know, I placed that onto an axle and kind of built this uh, old-style, like, fruit cart, basically. And uh, I had all my uh, all my lamps and everything onto there, and you know people love the cart. Oh, this is a great cart! Oh man, I, you're selling light bulbs. Oh, this is fantastic! And then, no, I'm I'm selling table lamps, and they they have light bulbs. But I, I was seeing hearing this again and again and again that uh, oh, you're selling light bulbs, and I had to tell people no. But the thing is, they're not wrong. Right, the light bulbs are part of it. Exactly. It's it's that's that's me. That's my presentation. So I've had to to make a few changes to that along the way. Like another example is uh, when I first started my website. Um, you know, it's 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 one thing to go on to you know like Wix or, or Shopify and just do the you know the, the standard package they give you and all the suggestions. You, know, you can have one done in you know uh, less than an hour, but it's not really going to look that much different than you know say almost any other website out there, whether it be like a, a blog or someone selling clothes. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take a little bit more of a unique approach and I'm going to make this like late 19th century newspaper ads for table lamps. Uh, so, <laughs> so with all these subscriptions I had for, for my own research, 
like newspaper archives. I was going through local newspapers for you know, uh, Victoria from the late 19th century of Vancouver or Winnipeg and pulling out all these ads uh, for old table lamps. Um, you know, and back then, this is this is when houses were starting to be wired, you know, and, and electricity was being introduced. So, you know, it had ads that say, uh, you know, 2,000 homes now in Vancouver now have electric light, you know, <laughs> <laughs> upgrade your home with an electric table lamp and, and things. So I, I would actually start doing that on my website. I would, uh, I would have like little taglines like that. And then um, with the, uh, I would also use the kind of language of the day to, to describe and promote each table lamp. How was the response to that? I think people were either left scratching their heads or wondering if English was not my first language. <laughs> yeah, there's a fine line between doing something really creative and clever and actually achieving the goal of selling the bloody thing. For sure. So in terms of that, then have you kept your website as is or have you you've gone a different route? Uh, I've gone a different route, a little bit, uh, well, uh, qu quite a bit more modern. And then also, um, you know, with the... Uh, um, still keeping some of the wit and maybe just, I, I just really toned down the, uh, the, the 19th century elements into it. Uh, some of them are there, but, uh, I, I basically removed all, all references to promoting electric light and, uh, <laughs> as a new invention, as a new invention <laughs> in capital letters. Yeah. So are people mostly finding you then, uh, by way of social, are you doing markets? Uh, how, how are they finding you? Uh, I, I get bursts of people, um, visiting the website basically when I, when I make Instagram posts. Um, cause I can follow it not only on, on my Etsy page, but also on my website too. Uh, but after a while I find they're the same people. Um, when, it, uh, I find the, um, the most variety will come from markets. Uh, but then of course, for me, that took a while to find out what market, uh, suited me best. And of course that was a complete, um, means of trial and error. Uh, I started off at farmer's markets and very quickly learned that, uh, you're not going to sell table lamps besides somebody selling vegetables. And so then I moved on to other ones like, um, like this is in Fort Langley, for example. So there's another one I went to called the Langley Makers Market. But then I was finding the people attending that uh, for one aren't, um, because Fort Langley is very busy already. Uh, and the people strolling through there are mainly strolling through because, oh, there's a lot of people here. I don't know what this is for, but I'm going to go through anyway. So the people coming through aren't necessarily going because they, they, they know um, say like this is a craft market for one and for two, what kind of things they can expect. Um, so for me, I found the best markets are um, juried markets where uh, people pay an entry fee to, to, to attend for one, because they know they're going to purchase products. And then for two, um, the people attending are guaranteed that the products are going to be like of a certain quality. Yeah. I was going to say your products are not, uh, these are not $5 lamps. These are not quick Ikea little something or others that are mass produced. These are one of a kind. No, no. They range in price from about $75 to uh, about 450 So uh, the best market I've had um, was been Circle Craft uh, because that one effectively fits as I described. And also it's, it's a Christmas market. So people are going there to, to buy gifts already. And uh, that was very successful. So I'm hoping to uh, repeat that. Later this year, of course, um, you know, with, with everything going on with uh, COVID-19, everything's in the air too. So what are you doing to try and deal with the COVID-19 reality that we've got going on right now? I have to promote online sales as best I can. Um, that's all we really have right now. But then also too, um, you, you know, a lot of people are experiencing financial difficulty as well. You know, even despite the fact that uh, I can't do markets, but then, you know, a lot of people aren't able to pay their rent as well. So it's, it is very uncertain. 
And I suppose in that sense, it's good that this isn't my primary means of income. However, I can't leave the country either. <laughs> so uh, I can't also do work. Uh, I had work coming up, for example, uh, two projects in Saba and then another one in, in Nevis. So uh, those, are, those are on hold. Who helps you with all this stuff? Is this just a one-person operation? Do you do it all? Do you market? Do you sell? Do you make it? Do you, do you pack all the stuff up? Do you do all the shipping? Is everything being done by you? Uh, that's correct. That is a lot of work. How do you find the time to pull all that off as well as having uh, your, your primary responsibilities as an archaeologist? Uh, well, that happens all after hours, um, like especially uh, with having um, like a, an infant son. A lot of the day is taken up right now with childcare, and then I can't simply work in between that. So it has to be when he does his naps. But of course, his naps are unpredictable. So, um, <laughs> so the only predictable time I, I have to get this done is, is essentially after he's in bed. So that's anywhere between seven thirty to eight. So yeah, I do everything I can uh, between those times. Sometimes they make for very late nights, but uh, it's, it's uh, the only way to get it done at this point. Have you considered just stopping doing it? Yes and no. It happens in spurts. Um, like if I have a market coming up, yeah, I'm certainly working quite a bit for that. Um, I don't have to necessarily right now because the markets that I was supposed to do were all canceled. So I have quite a bit of stock already uh, sitting down in storage. So um, so at this point, it's not necessary. Um, but at the same time, I can also come up with new designs, uh, and things like that. Uh, so I can make a few, uh, few prototypes and then go from there rather than have, uh, have to make everything quickly on a, on a short deadline. What if you just made 30, 40 pieces and you're just beat and you look at it, you look at another brick and say, if I see one more brick, I'm just going to shoot myself. How do you stay creative and motivated and inspired? Normally what I, what I, what I try and do is to introduce myself into, um, into new environments or, you know, even to new music, uh, put myself into a different frame of mind and then find a way to, while I'm completely distracted that reintroduce what I'm trying to think about, say like a, a new type of design for brick or uh, a different way to market, uh, market the bricks or, uh, or maybe like a, a different idea for the website and things like that. Uh, it's, I find that actually works quite well, um, especially now with, you know, everyone else that's in this position too, um, with, with COVID-19, um, you know, under lockdown, it, it is, it, it can be very hard to introduce yourself to <laughs> a new environment when you can't leave the house. Uh, so I find music is very good for that. Or, um, like I, I, I play guitar as well, acoustic and classical and so forth. So after I've been playing for a while, then I'll stop, come back to it, come back to my thought process with the marketing, with, the with the brick designs. And, uh, that, that also works as a way to, uh, to get that going too. Uh, as far as motivation, um, I find that, um, once, once you start doing it, um, it, it snowballs. So then you look forward to doing it again because you've, you found you can do this or you can do that or you thought of this new process or you thought, oh, this looks really good. I, I find actually the best way to motivate is to simply do in this sense because uh, once you stop doing it, then, um, you know, I suppose it's almost like going to the gym in a way that after you, after you stop going for a week, you make excuses, make excuses, and then it's, it's easier to make the excuse and then you actually, you may find yourself not looking forward to doing it because you simply haven't done it for so long. Sadly, I know that reality. <laughs> what advice would you have for somebody who wanted to get into the brick game or the craft game in general? Uh, yeah, I would say find a mentor. It allows you to um, skip the trial and error process, and uh, it, it can save you quite a substantial amount of time and money. Um, for example, me, um, it, it took me a while to find out they say what the best market was, who, who my clientele were. Um, you know, advertising strategies, uh, website design, and so forth. So uh, I, yeah, that, that would be my absolutely my first suggestion. And if somebody couldn't find a mentor, 
What are some great resources for them? Uh, attend to your markets. Um, that's how I found mine, for example. Um, you, it, It'll be a trial and error process for you too. But, uh, you know, like one of my first markets, um, I was I was at, uh, I think my, my second or third time at the farmer's market and I was beside, um, I forget the name of the company, but they, they make the soups and tubes. Uh, so they put dry soups and then uh, they, they have different flavors and so forth. And then all you do is you, you put it on to cook for a few hours and, and you have soup and then they keep for years uh, at a time. And they've been doing this for 13 years. And I got great suggestions on uh, you know, why this market wasn't for me. You know, I could obviously see it for myself, but then I was told why. Uh, there's, um, you know, what markets to attend at Christmas, um, some logistical tips and things for moving and moving out. Those are also important. Uh, and then, yeah, part of it too, is when you're at a market, just, uh, it's one thing to obviously talk to your customers, but talk to the vendors because a lot of people end up doing this for the living. It's their primary, uh, employment. Um, so absolutely there's, there's resources all around you. It's really up to you to, to take advantage of it. Do you find that, uh, folks that are, whether they're suppliers or vendors themselves, um, do you find it's a fairly forthcoming group? Absolutely. It's, um, it's, you know, despite people selling many different things, um, and different levels of experience, it's, it can be pretty close in a group. Um, at CircleCraft, for example, there's a bunch of us in our immediate surroundings If we had to go and say, use the washroom or, or get a drink or something or whatever. If, um, we would all watch each other's booths. And then if someone is interested, we would, we would step in and make a sale and then uh, let them know. And then the money would go to them and so forth. And so it's quite nice. Do you find you've made some real relationships, like some real connections with folks, be they local or farther apart at these markets? Well, for sure. Yeah, you get, uh, you know, for one, the, uh, the vendors, of course, you'll start to, once you get to know each other, you'll start seeing each other, uh, you know, at markets down the line. Uh, and then even customers, like, uh, you know, there, there's regulars to say uh, art and craft shows or trade shows, and you start to see repeat people. You start even to see your own customers from from before. <laughs> and uh, so that's always nice to come back with, uh, you know, uh, how, how they're using the products that you bought and the uh, you know, friends that they told and, and uh, you know, other people's reactions to to how it was, say, in their house. So that's always nice to hear. That must be really rewarding. Where can people find you? Uh, well, I have uh, my website, which is uh, www.esheritagecompany.com. I also have, um, I'm also on Etsy as well, and then also on Instagram, which is at Esperson and Sun Heritage. Thank you very much for being on the show with us and sharing how you make a living. Oh, thank you very much. All the best. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Making a Living Show is brought to you by me, but if you'd like it to be brought to you by you, then become a patron of the program at makingalivingshow.com. There's a button there that will take your money and give it to me. You can find me at robylevy.com. Thanks for listening.